Let's hope my neighbor does not practice piano for this week's show. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. You're fantastic at coding, but do you have an action plan to take it to the next level? The upcoming book, Next Level Freelance, will help you optimize your freelance business for happiness. The book is packed with actionable steps to make more money, case studies, tips to find more clients, and exercises for you to establish your desired lifestyle. Extras include nine interviews with freelancers who make great money while enjoying great work-life balance, videos on strategies to find quality subcontractors, and videos on making more free time by outsourcing your daily tasks. Check it out today, nextlevelfreelance.com. This episode is sponsored by PlanScope. PlanScope is a project management and collaboration app built for freelancers and the way they work with clients. It makes it easy to price out new estimates and once you're underway, help answer the question, will this get done on time and under budget? I've been using PlanScope to do my estimates and manage my projects and I really, really like it. It makes it really easy to keep things in order and understand when things will get done. You can go check it out at planscope.io. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 87 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Reuven Lerner. Hello there. Curtis McHale. Hello. We have a guest panelist, and that's Mandy Moore. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and we have a special guest, and that's John Saddington. Hey, you guys. So, John, since you haven't been on the show before, do you want to introduce yourself real quick? Yeah. Um, my name is John, and I'm here in Atlanta, Georgia. I've been married for now eight years. I have two beautiful daughters, and I am a full-time entrepreneur, having uh, built my own companies for the last six years, raised angel and venture capital, and uh, prior to that, I uh, worked in the enterprise. I was an executive for a, at a Fortune 50 and then an engineer before that, and um, I have two master's degrees and an undergraduate degree from Georgia Tech. Oh, wow. Wow. So, and then you also wrote a book about Kickstarter. Is that right? It was an e. It's an ebook. Does that you not know, count? Well, ebooks are so simple to build these days that I'm not sure it has the panache as it used to. But it is an ebook, and it's sold very. It has sold very well, but it, it has helped a lot of people with their Kickstarter kind of crowdfunding success. So that's been very satisfying for me personally. Very nice. So how did you get started doing Kickstarter things? I can't even remember the first uh, Kickstarter project that I backed, and I, I'm not even sure where I heard about it, but somehow through the interwebs I, I got a taste of it, and I just became obsessed with it. I've, I have backed over 200 projects personally. Um, I can't even imagine how much money I've spent through it. And, but I had never considered doing my own project. And so earlier this year in March... I was literally sitting on the couch with my wife after putting the kids down and she said, Hey, why don't you throw that project you've been working on for the last six months on a Kickstarter and just see what happens. And being fairly pragmatic, I said, sure, you know, why the hell not? And I built 90% of that camp, the campaign that night it took me about four hours and I woke up four hours later. I went to sleep, went, woke up four hours later, um, did the six videos that I thought was necessary uh, to finish out the project profile and launched it. And uh, 30 days later, I had $56,500. And uh, I had a, a, de a definite timeline for delivering this project. Interesting. So what was the project? It was an, it's an iOS application. I had concepted kind of this Instagram competitor 
late last year, I was disenfranchised from Facebook. Or actually, I hate Facebook, and then I felt really lame about being on Instagram. So I, very much like many of the people here on this podcast as developers, you kind of build your own thing. And so I'd concepted an, a way to create filtered photos and publish them directly to WordPress um, through an iOS app. And I was going to provision it for myself. wasn't going to actually share it with anyone. And I built it nights and weekends, kind of as I was uh, as working on my other startup and, and venture. And six months later, that was in September, starting September of 2012, and in March of 2013 is when my wife had suggested the Kickstarter thing. And so it became, a, it was a, it went from being a very private project to a very public one. I've been looking at the guidelines for uh, Kickstarter, or I, at least I looked at them a while ago, and they were. They kind of cautioned people against building projects that were a business or something like that. Yeah, the the Kickstarter terms of service have changed dramatically over the last couple of years, um, and even more so in the last twelve months. Projects that would not have made it today um, were actually past previous, and so if I had submitted my kind of my concept and project today, I don't believe I would have been accepted. Um, because now they no longer accept, I guess, social applications. But, you know, so six months ago, they were fine with that. And then six months before, they had even more loose guidelines. So they've really firmed it up and, and changed the guidelines over time as as the community has gotten bigger. Um, so now I'm not sure what the terms of service are now. But uh, they really love kind of the maker community. The th- physical products are is really what they, they really like. And Indiegogo, the other um, kind of major crowdfunding website, will usually take anything, I believe. I think they have a much less stringent requirements. I, I, I just want, I mean, I've never participated in Kickstarter, although I've often seen pages on it. I've seen people say that they're going to raise money on it. So for those of us who are sort of naive about it or inexperienced about it, other than knowing that's a crowd funding platform. Can you explain what it is? And more importantly, I think what the motivation is, like, why would you as someone who's going to make something want to get it funded through Kickstarter? And more importantly to me, why would I want to pay money to something that's on Kickstarter? How is that different from buying a product from someone? Yeah, I think that's a great legitimate question. I think that's a, a great kind of foundational question. I mean, crowdfunding in general is a very new concept to very much in, in terms of technology is related. It's this idea of people coming around a project and a person and supporting that project toward completion financially. In return, they typically get some sort of token, uh, kind of a product or the actual product itself. And um, in a lot of ways, it's just good good feelings. Now, why is this why is this happening? Why do why do people give a rip about about crowdfunding? And and I think it's because in a lot of ways we have one there there's an entrepreneur. Oh, I believe there's an entrepreneur in all of us, and we just love watching people do the things that they're passionate about. And not all of us get to do that. Not all of us get to do that all the time. There are periods and seasons of all of our lives where we have to kind of get get things done. And so it's enjoyable to watch other people execute on their passions. And secondly, crowdfunding allows us to join them in that narrative, in that story. And so it's not so much as, you know, tossing money kind of into a black hole and hoping that it gets to the end result. You get to be a part of that story as a person and the creator, the entrepreneur, the inventor builds the application or the project in real time. And there's something very satisfying about that. And as a result, at the end, you get something back, either the product itself or 
you know, t-shirts or some tokens of gratitude are typically presented. And uh, that can be a very satisfying thing. Speaking of tokens and stuff, besides t-shirts, what other kinds of things do people typically offer as rewards or tokens of appreciation? Oh, geez. I have seen tons of stuff. I've got paraphernalia of every kind, from t-shirts to stickers to the actual products to coffee mugs to signed um, like, you know, the products might be actually signed to a poster, to digital art. I've gotten ebooks. I know that some people, the much larger projects will give you credit within like the production, if it's a video production or a movie, or even maybe your ability to be a guest in the movie or like a stand-in. You know, I mean, so the, the rewards span the, you know, the entire gamut of, of possibilities. I support a lot of video games. And so, I, you know, uh, these video game projects, the ultimate result is me getting the actual product and perhaps even a beta or alpha key so I can test it early or maybe unique digital good within the actual ecosystem that's unavailable to typical consumers. Uh, geez, I mean, the sky is the limit. Um, for me, in particular, for my app, um, I got gave, gave credit within the application itself or at least a link, eternal link within the application that said, hey, these were the backers to the project and... You know, that's something very special to a lot of the, a lot of the backers to say, hey, I, I was a part of this story, and no one else can claim that. Very cool. I was going to say, were the stickers a giveaway as well, or did we purchase them? Because I have some, but I don't actually remember. And I got two shirts as well. So Yeah, I, I gave away some shirts and some stickers, and then I had some excess. And so I, I put those um, as an op- opportunity for other people who weren't a part of the Kickstarter project originally to purchase those. And for me, for, honestly, for me to make a little bit of back... Um, in, in terms of the actual uh, the financial cost, I, being a kind of a digital guy, and I, I imagine many of you guys are, are digital natives, like we had no concept of physical, like you know, products and, and and shipping those and warehousing, and and I grossly underestimated the cost of shipping goods, especially internationally. I lost a ton of money uh, shipping overseas, and actually that ate into my entire budget. It was really a sad. Kind of thing. It was a huge lesson learned for me, but I would I would never do that again. Yeah, <laughs> I would... That's that's one thing that I ran into. I did an Indiegogo campaign to try and raise money so that I could uh, finish the website that I've been working on in my spare time, which is non-existent really, for my podcasts. And I I offered stickers as a reward, and it yeah it it ate up at least half the money that I pulled in. Oh geez, print, like the printing them and then shipping them out. Yeah, the average shipping cost was like internationally overseas, regardless of where it was international, was like $18. And I had requested $13 uh, to cover kind of like a $12 or $13 flat rate to cover anything international. So out the gate, I was losing money on every shipment. And those are in like Taiwan and Hong Kong and Australia. Those were like $35 to ship like t-shirt and it just was like it was so painful going to the post office <laughs> but that was just you know it, it, it is what it is if you support a video game like how is that different from just buying it well again you get to be a part of that story there are some opportunities to get some of the paraphernalia and some of the tokens of appreciation that one would not be available to kind of the normal consumer, like credits within the application or the game, uh, collectible items, unique, maybe even digital goods within the ecosystem, you know, like a special avatar, you know, if it was a kind of a complex social game. So those things are, you know, for a lot of people are, are very, um, 
very interesting to get. Those are collector's items. How important is having the video on the Kickstarter campaign? Oh, man, super important. And in fact, this part of what I wrote in the ebook is I actually did a kind of a test case of my own video usage. I mean, Kickstarter also suggests, hey, you know, it's like crazy. 80% of those who do a video get funded as opposed to 20% who don't. But even kind of iterating on my video, I, I did four iterations of my video. And the first one I did like it's five in the morning. It was terrible, but it got, got me out the gate. And I had like a, um, like it's, paltry 15% completion rate, which converted to something like, you know, like 9% conversion rate on people, you know, funding the project. I quickly reduced it from like a five minute video to like a three and a half and went from 15% to 18% conversion and like a 15%, uh, 18% kind of playthrough rate to a 15% conversion. And then I iterated again and went down to like a minute and then it shot to like 35%. And then I did it again and I went to 50%. And I just, the videos just got better and better and the conversions got higher and higher. And so even in my 30 day period, iterating four times, I could very quickly see the, the results, which was really kind of cool. And so I, I talk about that in the ebook. What should be in the video? Like what, what kinds of things do you put in there to try and be, is it like a sales pitch? You know, I think it, it depends, you know, for, for a lot of, people it's it's creating a p- compelling narrative a compelling story as as to not just what the product is or the project is but the why i think that's the most fascinating thing that's what certainly pulls me into the 200 or so projects that i've backed is i want to know why the heck should i care and, and you know the product the product itself might not actually be something that i'm vastly interested in but the story behind it is something that compels me to support it. And I, I can't even tell you why. Maybe it's an emotional reaction, but it's, you know, it's, it's a guy who works a 95 sales job, but who's always wanted to, you know, to, to train dogs or something. And he has this crazy idea about the small application or the small product that will get him to do his life passion, which is training dogs. And I just, I feel so compelled to support that person. I think that's awesome. And that, that he, he has the guts and courage to, to go public with something so weird and so something out of my my comfort zone and my world that I'm like, yeah, dude, I, I totally support that. I, I love that you have the gumption to do that. And, and I want to join you in the story to, you know, to see that happen. Another one that I'm really fa- passionate right now is kind of the, the spiritual heir to, uh, uh, she's oh, a classic Nintendo game. I'm having a brain fart. Mega Man. The original producers and video game creators of the Mega Man series and Nintendo have come back after like 18 years or two decades or whatever. And they're like, dude, we're going to do this again, but we're going to do it with modern technology. And I'm like, hell yeah. Like, I love the Mega Man series and I want to be a part of that story. And they blew through their like million dollar campaign budget. They went to like three million or something. And now they're building it in real time and I get to be a part of that story. And man, that's going to be awesome. Now, you said that Kickstarter mainly funds products. Now, is it possible for like, see, I, I have this vision, this passion, because I am obviously the, the virtual assistant. I'm Chuck's assistant. And I am constantly turning down work because other developers want to hire me to help them. And so I am currently trying to turn my 
self into a business so it's um, for developers so I can match assistance with developers because it's kind of a, a, a niche that hasn't really been tapped into yet. So I want to get, you know, my business going. Is that something that is possible to do with Kickstarter or not? Uh, Kickstarter wants to have, generally speaking, a product or some something that that will eventually end in the hands of the supporters. Indiegogo, though, uh, is much more flexible, and um, they support things that are not so tangible. Uh, for example, a friend of mine um, who was a partner did an Indiegogo campaign to help support his wife's business, and they um, were raising support for a road tour where they would go around this kind of beat-up van, which were there, there were a lot of the funds were going to fix up the kind of the van, and they are going to tour the United States and come back and kind of share their vision for um, women and kind of empowering young women. And so that was more of a service, if you will, and a business-oriented project, which uh, Indiegogo was totally fine with uh, with launching. Very cool. Cool. Yeah, I'm, Kickstarter is just, it's, it's, I think it's changing people's perception of entrepreneurship. I think it's changing people's perception of how to literally, fit, not you know, not just figuratively, but literally kickstart their future. You know, there's a crowdfunding kind of meetup group here in Atlanta, and I know there's a few kind of other around the world. But here in Atlanta, I mean, there, there are a couple of people here in Atlanta who have their entire lives have changed. They created a couple of kind of a husband and wife combo just came up with a kind of a new, I don't even think it's, it's a very new concept, but a different way to do coffee. And they just launched this like prototype coffee machine and they thought they were going to raise like $30,000 and they raised 2 million or something. And now they're like, they both quit their jobs and, and now they're, they're doing their passion. They're, they're coffee roasters. Geez, like uh, another two guys here in Atlanta create a zombie board game of all things. And they were trying to raise like 15,000. They ended up raising up like 2 million. And so they went from, in 30 days, they went from kind of guys who had this crazy idea for a zombie board game to literally millionaires. And, um, that's unbelievable. Like just, I just, it, even, even being a part of it. So, so close as a supporter and as a actual project owner, it still boggles my mind like that, that even can happen. And, um, Man, and we just we're just kind of getting started on it. And are there are there any strings attached to the money? Like, so these guys who made the zombie board game and they were given two million dollars. What if they decide, you know, if each of us, let's say two of us, we each get a million dollars, we pay off our homes, go around the world, done. Yeah, there there are definitely legal stipulations. <laughs> kind of the site is uh, held accountable, and the. Own project owners are held accountable. The users can actually um, litigate if the project is not delivered. It only has happened a couple times. Um, in most cases, if the product is delivered, a refund mechanism is appropriate and has been done many times over. With that being said, most projects actually deliver not on time. Or ha- there's probably a better way to say that. Most projects deliver late. And um, even in my case, I delivered a little bit late myself, which was unfortunate because I became a statistic. But even then, like you know, it's not almost, it's not so much about the delivery of the product necessarily. A lot of people support it because we hope the project gets completed, mm-hmm. but we love being a part of the story and and seeing the kind of the creators pursue their passions. And so I don't I don't mind getting my stuff late. In fact, geez, there are some projects that finished late last year that I still haven't gotten. 
And one was supposed to deliver for Christmas 2012, and I still haven't got it. And we're hoping for Christmas 2013. And and who cares? Like I I really don't care. Like it's it's going to be a cool game when it comes out and we get it. But if it's a year late, like oh well, like I'm not going to sue them. Now, are these funds like taxable? How does that work? Actually, that's a great question. I haven't looked into it. I'm certainly going to look into it in the next couple months as I gear for tax season. But um, I think it can be verified as a donation. Um, there is no strings attached to the actual organiz- Kickstarter organization. And I think you can provide a taxable write-off for your users, but not many project owners actually do that. Kickstarter takes uh, a percentage, about like a 2.8% percentage uh, of the fees plus whatever the Amazon fees are. And so it's about, ends up being like 4 4 to 5% of whatever the total is. Um, goes to the kind of the pockets of the of Kickstarter and Amazon, and so out of fifty six and a half thousand dollars, I came away with something like fifty one thousand or something. So the the thing that I'm really interested in with with all of this, I mean, I, I we've talked a lot about the mechanics, but I want to talk about how to make a winning campaign. So uh, you, you've talked about how people become part of the story. But how do you create that? How do you how do you create a compelling story so that people get excited about putting money toward your campaign? Yeah, there are two two things that that I've seen work very well, and they're it's a combination of both luck and tactical execution. The first is it has. I, I think there's something very important about the story. The product can be something very compelling in its own right. But sometimes the delivery is just as important, if not more important, than the actual product itself. You know, you can think of many times um, where you may not necessarily remember who, like, like think of a, a significant event that you've had in the past. You may not remember who was there or what was actually said, but you remember how you feel. And that's very important. There's something very powerful about the emotive experience. And so I think when when people who are pas- deeply passionate about whatever, you know, their project or their pro- product is, that emotion is very compelling when it's delivered succinctly and, and very tactically well. Secondly, you need to be able to broadcast the crap out of it. You know, a compelling story is only a compelling story uh, and successfully a compelling story when a lot of people hear it. Well, a lot of people experience it. So that, that's the power of social media, I suppose. It's, it's when you can get on as many blogs and, you know, tweets and Facebook likes as you possibly can so that more people encounter your story and your projects, um, as a natural consequence. And if they can make that con- emotive kind of emotional connection, then you may have a, a true backer. And so I, I, I tried to create that as best as I could. And I've seen that pattern of success throughout uh, many of the Kickstarter projects. There's something just so compelling, you know, that I'm like, man, that that's awesome. And then the project, the actual product itself, eh, like sometimes mediocre, but you know, if it's, it's the, the emotional connection. Um, and of course, again, as I said, uh, distribution of your network and, uh, and marketing. Now I saw that as far as timeline goes, that, the shorter you have, like the campaign runs, the more money you make, as opposed to having it go over, you know, say three to six, six months. Why is that? 
I think statistics would, would probably, I mean, statistics do show that the 30-day market is really pretty much the target to set. But psychologically, I mean, think of it, think of it for your, in your own context, in your own experience. When something kind of bleeds over beyond a month, there's something, you know, there's a kind of a mental fatigue or there's a kind of a forgetfulness that begins to happen. There's a kind of a, there's a, there's an effect of just not, not having it being top of, top of mind or a sense of urgency. Oh, 45 days or 60 days. Sure. Yeah. I'll, I'll get around to supporting that. I've got two months of time. But when you think about it in the context of a month, 30 days, like, you know, that goes really quickly. And so, People are feeling naturally more compelled to support a project that has a deadline that they feel is close rather than something that they can put off on their calendar and then forget. And there's probably much more, you know, true scientific research around that. But um, from the blogs and some of the collateral material that I've read, that makes uh, entirely a lot of sense. Does make sense. Mm-hmm. So I did 30 days and it worked. <laughs> so, so how many campaigns, how many Kickstarter campaigns have you actually run? I have run one, and I'm not sure I will ever do it again. <laughs> um, actually, my wife has uh, demanded that I never do it again, which is so funny because she's the one who suggested that I do it in the first place. I wrote a retrospective um, after the, kind of the 30 days, and I said it literally killed, almost literally killed me. And that is actually true. I averaged uh, about three hours of sleep a night for those 30 days. And um, I lost 10 pounds, and I really disenfranchised my kids, and I was a deadbeat husband. And that's partly due to my kind of behavioral dynamics and the way that I'm built. I obsess about things. And so the moment I launched that campaign, that is the only thing that I thought about for 30 days. Um, and the, 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 the nights that I did sleep were, were, were aided by sleep uh, medication. Um, because that's all, all I wanted to think was about the next donor, the next donor, the next donor, the next marketing initiative, the next campaign. What can I do to iterate on the video or the products or, or the marketing pages or what, what small app or website can I build to kind of create a viral effect? And, and because I am a developer and I am capable of doing these things, I'm the guy that's doing it. And, uh, it's only, and, and, and because I'm the only guy doing it, period, I have to see everything from financials, the marketing to the development. And I'm not a marketer, so I had to quickly learn how to become a marketer. But here's what's so funny is, is post Kickstarter, I learned that most of the successful campaigns have marketing managers. And that most of these projects aren't the guy, just that one guy in the basement in his underwear. You know, who has a dream and puts it on Kickstarter, that is actually less of the model now than, than before. These are strategic, tactical, like SEAL 16 marketing teams that just kick the crap out of the, these campaigns. And I wasn't actually, I'm generally an outlier. I, I'm the guy that's kind of doing it myself. And I was like, holy shit, like, what was I thinking? Like, I should have got a team. And you know, part of the campaign budget is allocated to pay the marketing team um, post um, post the you know the Kickstarter event. Man, and so I I, I killed myself, and I, I I will never do it again. It was just it, it was it was really tough. I, I must say that that puts everything you said in perspective, a much better perspective and greater depth. Because I had this image again, not being experienced with Kickstarter, but having heard about it, 
And I said, oh, okay. So what John did was he thought of something, and he put up four videos, each one a little better than the previous one, and he did that for a month, and he ended up with 50-some-odd thousand dollars. That's not bad. But it sounds like you're working really, really hard that month, and the other people who are doing campaigns are not only working hard, but they have people helping them work hard and advising them so they can be as successful as possible. Oh, yeah, that is the reality. If there's anything to, to take away from it, it's, it's not as easy as it looks, and there is sacrifice. I mean, my, my, my family felt those 30 days without a father and a husband, and my partners in my company um, felt like they had lost a significant part of their development staff, their product lead, and their vision caster. And I just, I, 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 I mean, I profusely apologized to everyone relationally in my network and said, man, I'm, I had no idea. And, you know, my wife gave me an incredible amount of grace and she loves me. And of course we survived and we didn't sign any divorce papers, but, you know, it was just, yeah, man, it was just so, man, it was so stressful. I, uh, I would never, yeah, I would never do it again. <laughs> what you'd recommend to people who have another business, kind of, I guess, knowing what happened to Eight Bit later, if there's anything you think you could have done differently with the campaign to continue Eight Bit surviving, for those who don't know, did not did not survive long after the campaign. I have no idea if that was the issue, but yeah, I mean that that it goes into some kind of deep waters, but yeah, it, nor it, do I want to ask, like, you know, just yeah, it wasn't a advice. direct impact in, impact for sure, but it did certainly send me personally in direction. I, I had no idea 2013 was going to be so heavily involved in iOS application, and I am now. But, I mean, so some of the kind of a global advice is that there is a cost. I mean, there's a cost associated to any kind of new venture, and it's not just a willy-nilly, hey, I think I'm going to throw something on Kickstarter and see what happens. It's a, I'm going to commit to this for 30 days or whatever the campaign length, and I'm going to do this as as hard as I can. And And that makes sense because... To, you know, you're not going to throw something on Kickstarter that isn't something very near and dear to your heart. It's going to be something you're passionate about, something that you're hoping that will literally change the trajectory and course of your life for a lot of these people. And so you're going to put everything that you have into it. I just didn't think through that part. I didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal, especially because I had been developing at nights and the weekends. I was like, yeah, what the hell? Let's just throw it on and see what happens. Man, like, oh, geez. Like I, I had no idea, and no one had written about it. I think that's the one, the biggest thing. No one had said, "Hey, you know, you're going to commit, you know, relational suicide in the next thirty days if you do this by yourself and you're not prepared." Everyone had said, "Hey, look at what happened. I got funded in a day," you know, and everyone dreams that that's going to happen. That those are the outliers, but it's, oh my god, we got two million dollars, and you know, like oh, for the first week, and then we just coasted for the next three weeks. And those yeah, are yeah. all the scenarios you read, and not the ones of "Hey, that was that was a total suck fest." Well, and you had a very different funding story because quite near the end, you had a, I guess, a shocking withdrawal or a withdrawal of one of your biggest backers, right? Oh yeah, the founder of WordPress, Matt Mullenweg, and I have a relationship. He was a partner of Eight Bit. Um, we we're the fifth partner to Automatic, so we have a very good relationship. And um, he funded. Uh, he sent funded $10,000 within the first 32 hours, which was fantastic. It gave a huge bump to uh, the campaign and, um, you know, kind of to make a long story very short, uh, within a few days of the campaign ending, he pulled his $10,000 pledge, uh, which was, you know, 20% of 50,000, which was a very significant hit financially and emotionally. Uh, we, we recovered in short, but that was very stressful. 
Speaking, how how did you market your campaign? What kinds of things did you do to spread the word and get people to donate? Uh, geez, a number of tactical things. One, I created a systematic approach to marketing. Um, I, again, I'm not a marketer. I've never held a marketing job. I, I know enough to be dangerous, but I, I'm really just an engineer and a product guy. But I take a systematic approach to most everything. And so I sim- simply said, I, I read an article where it said the, 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 the top 10 most successful Kickstarter projects ever to be funded at the time when I did my, launched mine, they averaged 1.78 updates a day, which is two updates a day. And I was like, holy crap, that's, that's two updates a day. So I made that a n- number one priority that I'm going to update twice a day, as ridiculous as that sounds. I'm going to update twice a day. I'm also going to create a, a newsletter and I'm going to create some strategic landing pages for kind of systematic viral campaigns throughout the four-week process. I'm going to take statistics on everything from the quality of the videos to conversion metrics to landing page to likes and Twitter and tweets and continue to track those daily. And that's part of the reason why I didn't sleep at all those days. I, I was so embedded with data. Um, and then execute against those every night. Um, and I wrote some of that, that in the ebook, but, and then I just executed against that plan. You know, every, every four hours I would check, refresh, check, refresh. Um, there are some available open source scripts, which actually tabulate some of that down in real time for you. So you don't actually have to do the raw math and you can just say, Oh, wow, that was really effective. I should double down on that and just kind of execute through the plan. Um, I wish I had a team because that would have been really nice, but nope, it was just me. When you say updating, do you mean updating on the Kickstarter campaign page twice a day? Yes, the updates. So sending out messages to all the backers and then publicly. It feels ridiculous, and it really is ridiculous, but that's what I did. And I I, I did exactly 1.78 updates or something like that, 1.8 updates. For third days. When you say updates, updates to what, like to the, the campaign page, to a yeah, blog? Yeah, ki- to the Kickstarter. Um, the, the Kickstarter has an internal messaging system, and those are called updates to your backers, and then those are publicly visible. And so I did two a day, three some days, and then one on some days, and I averaged literally like 1.8. So your backers, like, so when they give you the money, do they become like part of a, a group and then... So they'll get like email updates or then you should ask Curtis. He became a backer and then he got spammed by me like a hundred <laughs> hundred times for 30 days. Yeah. He, he became part of a select group, the backer group, and then he could opt in to continue to receive those updates or uh, he could opt out. Yeah. I just gotcha. got emails and it was, it was fine. I kind of expected that from the few Kickstarter programs that I had been involved with. I was going to get a bunch of emails. The, th- the thing is, you, you, you think there's going to be kind of update fatigue, and that actually is not um, the case. Again, the people who commit their money to this are, are somewhat emotionally tied in. So if your updates are, are compelling and, and, and visceral and attractive and have some really meat, meaty stuff, it's, you know, they, they enjoy that. And that was kind of cool to see. I, I was very skeptical at first. I was like, 1.78 updates. Who the heck is doing that? But then I did it for myself, and um, incredible responses, emails, tweets, um, every single time, and people just couldn't get enough, and they were they were on board. That's Sam, I, I mean, my question with this is, like, during that month, you were clearly not creating the thing that people had paid to, you know, for you to do. So what were you updating them on? Just the status of the campaign? 
the status of the campaign, um, significant coverage that I was receiving in the blogosphere. At some point, I got on CBS Atlanta, which was a CBS affiliate here. I got on Fox News and uh, my first live broadcast, which was kind of cool. Um, they came to my office and did an interview there. Um, got some, you know, an article on, you know, the next web, Forbes, um, Forbes magazine interviewed me. And so, I mean, there was just enough kind of press to kind of cycle through. And then I was doing some light development. It was more of kind of product scoping and, and stuff like that. And, and if, if I did have any bandwidth, I was laying some functional frameworks for the code. But otherwise it was just, Hey, this is the campaign and that's what we're going to be talking about. And please tell it all your friends. Jeez, I'm getting like flashbacks of like that. Those 30 days and I'm like, <laughs> I'm getting like dry mouth and I'm like getting nervous. Ugh. <laughs> it, it's, it sounds t- to me, and in some ways it's very self-referential, right? Like, so I'm paying money for you to do something, and then I get updates on how many other people are paying money for you to do that thing, and you're updating me on that rather than doing the thing. But I guess it comes back to what you were saying, that everyone wants to feel part of the story. So if they're part, I guess, I guess the, perhaps the closest analogy I can think of is the public radio fundraisers. When they say, oh, and you know, we've got more people coming in there and they're calling from here and they're calling from there and they're all donating and you feel like, wow, wow. And you sort of get swept up by it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I love uh, PBS and kind of the, the Georgia um, affiliate here. We support them. And, you know, we just did the, uh, you know, the, there was a kind of an anniversary Les Miserables and we supported that. And freaking like 12 weeks later, you know, we finally get like the Blu-ray. You know, so there's like, there, there's definitely like a delayed delivery. It's not after 30 days, the product is on your doorstep. And for most projects that, you know, that, that's the way it is. There's a, there's a time delay between the campaign ending and then the product delivery. Um, sometimes it's years. I mean, the Capcom, or I'm sorry, the uh, Mega Man kind of spiritual successor to Mega Man, that's like slated for 2015 or something. And hopefully I'm alive to download and install it, but it's going to be awesome. So yeah, I mean, I, and I, you know, I share that and I, I, I try to give a realistic depiction of Kickstarter. It, it was very stressful, but man, it, it has been very, very cool because I have, you know, I sold my last company as kind of a part of that. I am, uh, raising venture capital now to continue the development. I have already, um, I already have some financial investors for it and I've got a clear roadmap. And if you had asked me literally six months ago, if this is what I was going to do, I would have said, you're out of your effing mind. You know, I'm fully embedded in what I'm doing. I have a very good company. It's, it's, we're walking to our fourth year as a company. We have four partners, seven employees. We're growing. This is a growing year for us. Like, are you nuts? Like, no, I'm not going to do an iOS application. And now here I am. Um, I exited that company, sold the company to one of the largest kind of WordPress-centric companies um, in the world, and have a very clear vision about my future. And so it's 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 exciting, you know. It's like in, it, it was Kickstarter. Kickstarter did that. So despite all the stress and despite almost getting you know, killing myself, it was very satisfying, and and I survived and I'm very thankful for it. What advice would you give to somebody? You said there was, you know, you didn't feel that you prepared very well to launch. What advice would you give to those that you wish you would have known? Oh, the number one piece of advice is get help. Get get help for the administrative tasks. 
um, of updating, of, of, of collecting the data to, to provide models of execution. I mean, and, and get the right emotional support around you. Um, my wife had no idea what she asked me to do. And, um, you know, that was her fault and, you know, my fault for not preparing her, I guess. So it was kind of a, you know, collectively in, in, in the mix, but, also preparing my partners, you know, my partners of my existing company. Hey, I'm committed to doing Kickstarter. I just want you to know I'm kind of going to be off the radar for a little bit. And for them and then for us to, you know, you know, figure out how we work that the business when, you know, the, you know, the founding partner of the company is going to go AWOL for a little bit. So it's, it's strategically aligning the relationships around you so that you don't feel so alone. It's such a, it's such a, it can be very, um, it can be a very lonely process, you know, if, if you do it by yourself. And so with friends, I think it's, uh, it could be a much more pleasant and enjoyable experience. Very nice. All right. Well, I think we're at the, the end of our time. So I'm going to start, uh, winding things down. Yeah. Well, well, thanks for letting me kind of share my story. I, I, I hope something their listeners can learn something from it. Yeah, if people want to uh, ask you questions or get your book about Kickstarter, where do people go to, to do that? Uh, I mean, let's see. I, I can provide a link to it. Um, I'd be willing to give a couple copies away to your readers and listeners if you'd like. And we can do we can do something fun like that. So you just you just let me know. Yeah, that'd be great. Why don't we have them comment on the uh, the show notes, the entry in the show notes? And, um, I don't know, the first, what, three or five people that comment? Yeah. Say, I want sounds, a book. Sounds perfect. Or, yeah, let's, let's challenge them with, hey, you know, pitch us your idea, you know, and I'll choose like the, the best three or the coolest, wildest three. Oh, there we go. So if you've got some idea that you might want to put on Kickstarter, then tell us your story. So, yeah, that sounds awesome. I love it. That's All right. Fun. All right, well, let's go ahead and do the picks then. Reuven, do you want to start us off with picks? Sure. So um, I recently saw that one of my favorite authors, Tom Standage, has come out with a new book. And I haven't had a chance to read it yet. It's called Writing on the Wall. And he calls it uh, the f- the first 2,000 years of social media. So I'm, I'm not going to mention his book specifically as a pick yet. But uh, some of you might have heard of one of his first books, or maybe his first book, which is a fantastic, fantastic book called the Victorian Internet. And it's all about telegraph operators and how basically back in the mid-1800s, the people who ran telegraphs did virtually everything we can think of today on the web and on the Internet. And it's just a cool, fun, fun, fun book. Um, Tom Standage, as I said, is one of my favorite authors, so you should totally uh, go look at his website also. So I'm leaving a, a link to that as well. Um, and he also is an editor of The Economist, and he does a weekly podcast called Babbage about science and technology, which is great fun. Um, and just as a last fun pick uh, for today, I saw a blog post, I don't remember even exactly where I saw it, that the latest revision of Unicode has come out. And they're sort of, it seems, grasping at straws here, trying to find characters that have not yet been included. So uh, one of the characters that now you can type as an official Unicode character as of 7.0 is the middle finger. That is to say, giving the middle finger to someone. And there are other... <laughs> so awesome. I, I, haven't yet, I haven't yet seen the keyboard that supports that without, you know, control, meta, all, whatever. But I'm sure the next version of Emacs will include it. In any event, uh, so I thought that was uh, fun to look at as well. Those are my picks for this week. 
Yeah, we were giving my dad a bad time on Sunday about he's lost three toes. He's diabetic, and that that's something that can happen. And uh, so we were giving him a bad time about the number of, quote, digits he had because, anyway, part of the conversation. <laughs> and uh, oh, so the, the, the joke was that I, I, I leaned over to him afterward, and I said, you should have said, well, I still have this one, and then, you know, shown the middle finger. Anyway. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That's what it made me think of. Okay, random thoughts from Chuck's brain. Uh, Curtis, what are your picks? <laughs> I'm going to pick Grunt and Grunt Watch. So Grunt is a JavaScript task runner, and it say just automatically does stuff for you uh, in uh, on your project. So like compile your to-do items in your project, or compile your la- lesser SAS files, and then Grunt Watch uh, actually does a watch. So anytime you update. Uh, your files, it will actually run all the tasks that you tell it to. And it has awesome and saved me a bunch of time in the last little bit. All right. We also did an episode on JavaScript Jabber on Grunt, so I'll put a link to that in there as well. Mandy, what are your picks? So I've got three. Eric recommended I buy this book. It's called Start Your Own Business, the only startup book you'll ever need. And it's really good. Um, I'm enjoying it. It's kind of helping me get all my ducks in a row and figure out what I need to do and the steps I need to take, and so forth. The second pick I have is Fiverr.com. Uh, I got a really cool logo in about three days from somebody that did a really good job, and I, I had a few edits that I asked for to make. I, I didn't like the text that he used the first time, so he was like, no problem, we changed the text, and I was like, oh, I love it, but, you know, could you, the S was kind of weird out of place so I asked him to move it and yeah he made a couple edits for me and it came out great for five bucks and then the third one I have is I am not a video gamer my fiance all the time is asking me to get into it but I really have no interest but there's this game The Walking Dead for my iPhone and I got into playing this and I bought all five episodes and the special bonus episode and the graphics are amazing and I literally played it all weekend and I love it so if you're a fan of the show or the comic books you should definitely check out the game because it's worth it it's super fun it's like a choose your own adventure kind of thing so it's neat awesome last night my wife and I went and saw Ender's Game now as far as uh, it goes it was about as good as I expected it to be, which means that it doesn't even compare with the book. So if you're going to go see it, read the book first, and then go see it. But it was pretty good, so I'm going to pick the Ender's Game movie and the Ender's Game book. The last time I read it, I actually listened to it on Audible, and uh, that that was actually a really nice way to pass the time driving through Wyoming. So Because all you see is, is hills and stuff, and then you know the next town's two hours away. So anyway, um, those are my picks. Uh, John, what are your picks? Uh, yeah, actually, I have a very s- simple one. Kind of, I still love to um, kind of check in on the WordPress community, and I really love Bootstrap. And so, a new framework called Pdig, P-E-A-D-I-G dot com, combines um, WordPress and Bootstrap three framework, and um, it looks to be very impressive. And so. Uh, that's kind of my single pick of this uh, podcast. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap up the show. Thanks for coming, John. 
hey, thank you so much for letting me uh, be a part. That was really, really terrific discussion, and, and I hope it helps people get an idea of what they should and shouldn't be doing with Kickstarter or Indiegogo or whatever they decide to do. Yeah, I hope many of the listeners um, pursue their passions. I think that's that's what I'm I'm in love with. I love seeing other people pursue their passions, and is there anything more exciting than that? So if Kickstarter is going to be a part of that process, awesome. If not, go do it anyway. Go do something. You know. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you. We'll wrap up the show. We'll catch you all next week.